I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on the earth. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better. It appears to me. This was written by a man in his mid-30s in 1841. His friend had just wanted to run against him for political office in the seat that he had. He was lampooned in the press when he escaped his job by jumping out a window. His best friend married a woman he wanted to marry. He experienced many of his loved ones that had died in the years just previous. He was so despondent, he left his job as a legislator in Congress for weeks, stayed in bed, lost weight. He is what they would call in those days melancholy, and what we would call today depressed. The man, Abraham Lincoln. Poet Lord Byron um, said this about this gift that he would say people had in the 19th century. He called it the fearful gift. Bouts of long periods of despondency. And with these people that had such what he called the fearful gift was Abraham Lincoln. I wonder, a man paralyzed by fear, dashed hopes, melancholy, depression, how did he get to the place where he was calm when a nation was falling apart in his presidency? when he empathized with a cabinet who hated him, who forgave generals that angered him, that was so bold to pronounce the Emancipation Proclamation during the bloodiest war in American history. How did a man just 20 years earlier that was paralyzed by his depression get to that place. Truly was battles of the mind for Abraham Lincoln and allowed him to come to a place to face greater things. You know, depression isn't something new. Not something we just diagnose right now and give out medicine and all those things that so many people have it. It has been from the beginning of time. In the 19th century, it was called melancholy. But if you think this is bad and what Lincoln talked about himself, I encourage you to read the Psalms. Psalm 13, Psalm 40, Psalm 42, all ones that we've gone through today. 
I'm going to make this argument this morning. You can write it down if you want to. Think on it. This is the argument that I think Psalm 13 makes and I want to make to you this morning. Depression is a battle in our mind for what beliefs will be victorious in our hearts. Depression is a battle in our mind for what beliefs will be victorious in our hearts. Psalm 13, shall we? Let's print it in your worship guide. Let's follow along as I read Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The word of the Lord. Well, everyone uh, that's just joining us or people in the church, you're like, what's going on? Usually we go through this long book. Well, I think there's sometimes we have opportunities between books. So we just went through Ezra and Nehemiah for 18 weeks. And now we will go through 2 Corinthians starting next week for 19 weeks. But I like sometimes to have a little bit of a kind of, I'm going to say topical. It is exegetical today, but a little topical thing to hit on some issues that sometimes I think that we might be facing. And I like to do it specifically in the Psalms. And the topic today, so excuse our deliberation from books that are longer, Ezra and Nehemiah and then 2 Corinthians. Thanks for this little um, excursus from that. That we will go through this topic today of depression through Psalm 13. I find it fitting, as I woke up this morning, I was thinking it was so fitting. Scraping ice off my car, cold, people sick. I'm like, this is not a great time. Just not a good time. And maybe you have that feeling too. And it might be fitting for you, this sermon today. Well, not to plagiarize or uh, think these are my ideas, I'm going to give right away the bibliography of a lot of my thoughts today, and I'm going to give it in four different books. Number one, if you seem to be more theologically bent, I'd encourage you to read a great book called Spiritual Depression. It's by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's actually not a book. It's actually 21 sermons put into a book that he goes through predominantly the Psalms. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor in Great Britain in the 60s, that's a great book, Spiritual Depression. If you're a person that likes counseling, you know, I want some things that are more concrete. Give me what I'm supposed to do. A great book by Ed Welch with the organization CCF, Christian Counseling Education Foundation. A book called Depression, A Stubborn Darkness. A wonderful book. 
Maybe you're a little bit more creative, like history, like to think outside the box. A great book on this topic, Lincoln's Melancholy, How Depression Challenged a President and Fueled His Greatness. So there's three different books, Theologically Bent, Spiritual Depression, More Practically Bent, Counseling Book, Stubborn Darkness, and More Creatively Bent, Historical Lincoln's Melancholy. But if you want to take all three types of approaches and put them into one, read the Psalms. That's what you should read. There's history there, there's practicality there, and there's theology there. The Psalms are so good on this topic of depression. I realize that when I talk about a topic like this, I need to make a lot of caveats and qualifications, lest I run into trouble. Because it is a topic that is very serious and not to be dealt with tritely. A good friend that has dealt with depression for most of his life, having a conversation with him, what is it like to face depression, serious depression? How do you put it into words? He said, Dan, it's like this. It's like being on an elevator going down. And each floor, you see things in your life. Your work. The next floor, your family. The next floor, your friendships. The next floor, your daily tasks. You're going from floor to floor, and you want to get out and engage these things, but you just can't. You see them happening, but you're just trapped. And you start going down and down and down and down, and you just want to get off. And you can't. It's hard not to cry when you read, when you sing Psalm 40. And I see Benjamin and Hannah singing Psalm 40 with what they've faced this year. And that is the idea of depression. It says, how long, how long, verses 1 through 3, four times, is talking about this longing to get off the elevator, to be able to engage to be around others. The psalmist feels that. He's experiencing that in this psalm. This is not something foreign from the experience of humanity, this depression. This is something that was written about 3,000 years ago by the psalmist. I also have to have this caveat. Here you have sometimes a very, mm, what do I want to say, a passionate, upgoing pastor guy like myself. And it can seem annoying and frustrating for someone so, you know, cheery maybe at times to hear now a message of what you're supposed to do. I'm aware of that, okay? And if you have dealt with depression or are dealing with depression right now, I hope I can try to resonate with you this morning. The Psalms can try to resonate with you. I don't think there's any trite answers. When you deal with anyone that's happy and seems like their life is together and you're dealing with depression, 
it is hard to deal with people like that and hear from them. And if you are a person that just is a go-getter, I'm going to do it no matter what, I know how to get off the elevator, you need to do better at bearing with people that are going through this experience. Myself included, I need to bear better with people going through this. And also, you have to realize that this is more than just receiving advice. This is not just, here's three steps to get better from your depression. That's not what we're going to be doing this morning. Now I want to talk to those of you that might be facing depression or might be a melancholy kind of person. I want to challenge you this morning. You don't have to be on your A game to listen. And you have to realize that some people are trying to encourage you and help you and challenge you in what you're facing. They too are on a journey of different kind of struggles. They haven't arrived either. So I hope you might listen this morning and not just brush it off and say, no one knows what I'm experiencing, nobody knows There's no way to reach me. There might be some words for you this morning. Then for the rest of us that say, well, obviously I can check out. This sermon is not for me. Well, maybe you haven't experienced the past two years. (laughs) In some form or another, all of us face levels of depression. Maybe it's a day that we feel, or several days, where we feel empty, sad, Diminished interest in pleasure, significant changes in sleep and eating patterns, a low ability to concentrate, thoughts of death. I think these happen a lot to people in Wisconsin in seasonal depression, and I think it's been exaggerated with what we've experienced over the past couple years. So those are those caveats of who I'm speaking to, and here is a very large caveat. Your level of depression is not corollary to our spiritual maturity or immaturity. Because you're a person that's melancholy or face depression does not mean you are spiritually immature. Or because you don't face it that you're spiritually mature. David Rensford referenced it earlier today. Even Christ It says, his soul was sorrowful even unto death. For many of us, it's outside of our control. It's our temperament. It's the way our physical bodies are made. Spiritual attacks. The people and situations that we have faced that were in the situation that we are in in dealing with depression. Okay, those are all my caveats, right? And my qualifiers, thank you for listening and bearing with that. Is there a point? What do I do? Where is God in all of this? It sounds like all you're doing is just going through some cycle babble. I didn't come here to get a counseling sermon. I want to hear God's word. Right? Well, there are lessons from the church. Martin Luther talked about this very earlier on in his ministry, and he used to call it Anfiktungen, right? I'm trying to do my German there. 
And it means depression was to be fought at. And that's what he used to call what he experienced. And he also talked about the ability to fight it. If you read the Puritans through church history, like David Brainer, what an amazing missionary. Read his journal, amazing journal. You just realize how much this guy faced and how much he fought it and wrestled it with God in his journal. And then you read the Psalms in the same thing. You hear these laments and these wrestlings with God. Verses Again, three and four is the wrestle in this psalm. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And then Psalm 42, 5, which we sang earlier. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? There is this wrestling that is going on. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in one of his sermons, that part of his book, Spiritual Depression, he asked this question of his congregation. He says, who do you talk to the most during the day? I'll ask you. Who do you talk to the most during the day? Yourself. That's who you talk to the most during the day. What do you say to yourself. That's what the psalmist is doing. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? I'm going to read a larger section from Martin Lloyd-Jones' sermon on this. Please pay attention as I read this. I say that we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Do you realize what that means? I suggest that the main trouble in this whole matter of depression, in a sense, is this. That we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that the most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment that you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Will we admit there is actually a battle going on in our minds, in our hearts, on a daily basis in what we're saying to ourselves. Romans talks about it. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind controlled by the sinful nature is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and Peace. Do we wrestle as a culture with our thoughts? 
The thoughts of, say, I have so many failed relationships, I wonder if anyone will actually want to be with me. Life has not turned out the way I want to. Obviously, I'm a failure. The pain that I see of people around me is so much and so suffocating, I can't be around anyone. Instead of dealing with these thoughts, what do we do? I'll just binge Netflix, show after show after show. Instead of dealing with these thoughts, I'll just play video games over and over again. Should I just name the vices? Sex, alcohol, drugs. I don't want to actually wrestle with my thoughts. What is going on in my heart? Where are you going, Dan? What, what is this going to happen? Oh, maybe some of you, come on, we've got college-educated people. You had to take your psych classes, right? What's my answer? Maybe you're already trying to think ahead from me. Oh, maybe he's cognitive behavioral, right? Maybe he takes a gestalt view. Maybe he's a family systems guy. Maybe he's psychoanalytical. Right? Which approach is he going to take for me this morning? Right? Give me some platitudes. Give me something, or oh, maybe mystical or ethereal. Please hear me right now. Okay? And it might sound a little strong. I'm a Christian. I believe that God became man. He's not some ethereal thing, something out there. He actually lived and dwelled among us. And he faced our pain. He knew what it was like to face the things that we face in our minds and our thoughts. And you know what I believe happened? This God, this God-man, this fully God, fully man-person, lived a perfect life, died upon the cross and then rose from the dead. And right now, he is in heaven, next to the Father, interceding for us right now. Now, I am all for psychoanalytical, cognitive behavioral, gestalt, family systems. I love that stuff, man. We can jam about psychology for forever. But guess what? I believe there is a God interceding in our minds, in our hearts, to work through things that are so difficult and so hard. I don't care what medicine. I don't care what system. I don't care what it is. He's working with us spiritually. There is something transcendent happening in our hearts. If we are Christians, the Spirit is working in us. There is a God that knows what it's like to face this pain, to face this struggle, that wants to walk with us in it now. The thing is, we live in such a secular world, we don't even see the spiritual realm at all. And we do not allow him to talk to our hearts and what we're wrestling with and what we're dealing with. 
okay, I've been passionate, right? Bring it to earth. Well, let's run through it, shall we? So I was just out of seminary at my first job working in downtown Denver at a church plant. And I'm in charge of organizing a very, very large party. The Beaujolais Nouveau party. It's our biggest party as a church where we gather all these people together. I'm picking up so much alcohol, it's crazy for this party, right? And there I am at the liquor store in Denver. It's a large liquor store. And I'm taking all this alcohol out to this party that night. And I'm fielding phone calls about trying to get everything organized. And this guy is, you know, from the stores having to help you carry all the stuff out. I get off the phone. You know, I haven't been able to talk to this guy. And I say, and I, and I say oh, dude, how are you doing, man? That's what I say to the guy. And this is what he says to me. Great. I get to carry around drinks for a yuppie. Right? Very benign, not very, very nice comment. But not, I mean, I don't know the guy, who cares? But what does that do to me? It throws me all day. My day is done. Why is my day done? Well, maybe that's the extent of my college career and my seminary education that I all, all have become is a party planner. My boss told me I should delegate better. Well, I'm failing at that. Obviously, I'm failing at my job. What am I doing with my life? Have I even made the right choices to get into ministry? I've just spent three plus years of my life for nothing. Do you see what's happened in my mind? And what do I do? Turn on the radio. Maybe I'll listen to sports talk rather than listen to my mind. Depression is a battle in our minds for what beliefs are victorious in our hearts. I hope you being ministered to by me is an example of God's graciousness that he continued to work through my thoughts and I continued to wrestle with him to kill those thoughts that were in my mind and that were wrestling with me. I could, be, I could have been easily out of ministry. Easily. Over and over again. These thoughts come to me all the time. What am I doing? This is pointless. I'm a failure. Do those thoughts ever come to you? Come on, let's be honest. What you say as a mom... When you don't know what to do with your kids, what am I doing? When you're a dad, wondering, am I ever going to be better than my dad who was not good to me? I, I'm never going to get out of this routine. You name the situation. You name the thoughts. You know what comes to your mind in the morning when you wake up. I'll just hit snooze again. I'll just have another drink. I'll just play another video game. I'll just watch another show. I'll just look at another image 
Just get me out of these thoughts. When God is saying, I want to be with you. I want to wrestle with you. You can get out of this. Let's take it a little bit even more practical. Maybe depression manifests itself in different ways in how we do it. For some of us that like order and stability, we fear for our health, our future. And for many of us, that causes us to isolate ourselves, especially over these past two years. What kind of wrestling needs to happen in your heart? Be strong, courageous. The Lord goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. For some of you, you have a strong desire for significance. But you look at your life and you think those hopes have become dashed. I had chances, but they've been taken away. I really just blame myself. Sure, God might be good, but who cares? It's goodness, not on my terms. And even things, when they start to look positive in your life, you tread on that. It's better to be miserable than think of what could have been. What kind of battles does God want to have with you? I love you. I have a plan for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. For some of us, we desire justice. And one way that we see we want justice, it comes out in anger. That's one way. But some of us, it doesn't come out through hot anger. Instead, when we don't get justice, it comes through a coldness of depression. You've been hurt. And you've resolved, I will never be hurt again. I will not engage. People are horrible. I have faced injustice. I do not want to face anyone again. The battle in your mind, in your heart, is that Christ has faced injustice. He didn't go to the cross with bitterness. He went to the cross with you, with love and joy. And he took all the injustice. Can you trust him to work in your situation? So for some of us, it might be in our love and care for others that we try to love and care other, for others and we sometimes become codependent. We realize that people don't give us what we want in return and we try so hard and then we don't get something back and it just becomes a muddled mess. And when people don't treat you the way that you want to be treated, then you start to realize, maybe I'm ugly Maybe no one wants to be around me. Look at all these blemishes. You're weighed down. You're embarrassed for how you've interacted with others. And the battle in your heart and your mind is that there's one that loves you and cares for you. That can fulfill what no other person can, can fulfill. He has saved you in all your blemishes, all your sin. 
He is there with you. Verses 5 and 6. This is what happens when the psalmist comes out. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Here is a God that has borne with us. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Here is one that has come in all our blemishes. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see the psalmist comes out to know the wrestling has taken place. He has wrestled with God. God has come to him and given him his truth. And he lives in that, in that hope. That's how the psalm proceeds. Abraham Lincoln faced two very interesting things in his life. Two instances. And it happened right at the time that... uh, the Southern Army was invading the North and going into Pennsylvania, a pretty hard time for American history. His son William died. And this is what Abraham Lincoln said Our sorrows will be sanctified and made a blessing to our souls. And by and by, we shall have occasion to say with blended gratitude and rejoicing, It is good for us that we have been afflicted. In his trials, he would hold to these ideas like a raft. Frederick Douglass and others commented that he was an extremely gracious man to generals, to pardoning people. And looking at things at very hard situations with resolve because they believed the melancholy that he had suffered made him to see that he was not in control and instead that God had a greater plan. People argued it was a wisdom that came through a lifetime of pain. At the same time that his son died, A woman came to Abraham Lincoln pleading that her husband could be freed from jail for deserting. He deserved to be in jail. And Abraham Lincoln pardoned him. And he said this, May it be said of me when I die and those who know me best, I always plucked a thistle and planted a flower where I thought a flower would grow. The battling that he went through allowed him to come to that place. Maybe some of you are saying to me right now, I can't battle like that. I have been so worn down. Let me tell you this morning, Christ has battled for you. He even took on mental anguish and pain. He took that on so you can look to hope. And it is through his battle that we are victorious. And we have been given a new heart in order to look with hope at the battle 
warring around us. I'm going to end with a poem. Because sometimes us melancholy people, we like the arts, right? <laughs> it's from George MacDonald. I had a friend this week that was facing major depression and been battling it for a long time. And I read this, and I gave this poem to this person, and I'll give it to you. When I can no more stir my soul to move, and life is but the ashes of a fire, when I can but remember that my heart once used to live and love, long and aspire, O oh, be thou then the first, the one thou art. Be thou the calling before all answering love. And in me wake hope, fear, and boundless desire. There is a God that can wake that in you who wants to wrestle with you in what you're dealing with.